Welcome to the Real History UK podcast, hosted by Jenna Pateman and Hugh David. Produced by Fordia Publishing, first run airing on the Bunkerzilla Network. Hello and welcome to Real History, the podcast in which we look at uh, pieces of historical fiction, be they book, film, TV, uh, theatre, possibly at some point music, uh, definitely comics and games. Mm -hmm. And we ask the question, how much of this is really based on historical research? And at the end, after a bit of a discussion, we have fun awarding it a percentage score suggesting the degree of historical accuracy. Uh, All for fun. Not for any real reason whatsoever, <laughs> but also an excuse for us to maybe talk about things we like, things we don't like, because we that's what we do as historians. That's yes. what we also do as people who love fiction. Mm. My name's Hugh David. I am your co-host and co-producer on this podcast. Um, I work for 48 Consultancy, which is my own consultancy. I'm also a school part-time school teacher, again, teaching English and history to secondary school students. Uh, with me is... Hello, Governor. Hello, Governor. <laughs> Jenna Pateman, who is a master's student so yeah. at Goldsmiths studying queer history. There you go, so. MA in queer history. Yes! Which is a, a fairly new and unique course. Yes, it is. I think it's only like five, four years old. There and it was go. one of the first in the world. So, mm-hmm. yeah. it's And definitely the only one in Europe at the moment, I think. Oh, wow. So, yeah, and you it's, also work for the Historical Association. I do. Um, I'm a volunteer for the committee for the local uh, branch, which is Gloucestershire. And Mm -hmm. because at the moment of lockdown, anyone in the world can access our talks. So I've been posting those about, so follow those. And um, also the head office committees as well. So Mm -hmm. I absolutely love the Historical Association. And I'm like, hey, big up. Um, It is the biggest historical charity in the UK. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we're over 100 years old. Oh, wow. So, yes. So And Gloucestershire uh, is one of the oldest branches. Well, there's a lot in Gloucestershire that's quite old, let's be fair. Yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, you cheese guys rolling. still think rolling cheese down a hill is a sport. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's just going to be an ongoing joke now, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Not only is it going to be an ongoing joke on this podcast, for listeners who haven't read it, if you go to the website of bunkerzilla.co.uk, which is where we are uh, uh, usually get go as a first-run podcast before we are available through other networks, uh, you can find an article on their blog that Jenna wrote of, about the cheese rolling event in Gloucestershire that happens on a regular basis. The re- <laughs> However, the reason it's going to be a running joke here is because it is a running joke, <laughs> literally. <laughs> You guys throw still... a cheese wheel down a hill and then hope that people who run after it don't break their necks, legs, arms, or anything else on the way down. I mean, honestly, it's like the I Hunger still Games, remember but without the... your it's face. A... Yeah, but it's when the hung... me and Kimmy were talking about it at Zippy's. It's the Hunger Games without all the trappings and the rubbish and the mechanical stuff. You know, whichever whichever people, whichever young people survive the fall down the hill are worth keeping for society. I did tell you there's a, a um, kids race, didn't I? Oh, God, is that how you eliminate the, the week in the hill? Well, it's actually up the hill, so it's a lot less dangerous. That's even worse. That's even worse. <laughs> if the child doesn't make it to the top of the hill, what happens? They're not allowed to marry. <laughs> um, even, when I was doing the research for the article that I wrote, I was watching cheese rolling videos, and, of course, Evie spotted them, and so now they're one of our favourite 
things. Oh my god. Does, does it mean when she's older she's going to want to take part? I don't know. <laughs> you, I, I want I want to accuse you of bad parenting, but I think it might actually be defined as good parenting in this case. <laughs> Look, Evie, this is how people get hurt. <laughs> so, well, you so, are a godparent, so you, yes. you need to sort of do some... I am godparent an evil, rule-breaking uncle. How do you think I'm going to be as a godparent as she gets old? I'm <laughs> um, talking of which, uh, let's... This isn't what film... we're talking about. No, it's close enough, though. Today's film we are going to look at is... Uh... Spooky! Yes, this is our Halloween recording, which coincides with Black History Month. And so to combine the two, we decided to look at... And combine it with the third element of history, we're looking at 2001's movie adaptation of graphic novel from... Hell. Yes. Uh, this is a, a thoroughly 18-rated film, even more 18-rated when you look at the deleted scenes. And the historical element is it is a, a a version of the the um, Whitechapel murders, mm-hmm. and it is directed by the Hughes brothers, who were famously part of an up-and-coming set of young gifted and black directors in the 90s although as they pointed out they're mixed race i think it's armenian their other half um and they 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 shot to fame with their debut film menace to society which is still regarded as a modern get street get classic uh you can hear some talk about that in the boys in the hood podcast that i recorded with my partner leslie for hustlers of culture which is Mm -hmm. also available wherever you found this podcast um and um the hughes brothers Decided, be, wanting always to be more than just uh, they didn't want to be ghettoized literally in terms of the filmmaking and so they having done uh, Minister Society and then Dead Presidents which is about um, black soldiers in Vietnam and coming mm. home to America they struck out and did something that they thought was more was different and interesting which is a Victorian set horror film yeah and it's... I don't think you could get much different. Yeah, I, exactly. And I think it was an important calling card to show that they could do something different. Unfortunately, it didn't make it. It was considered a, it eventually made its budget back worldwide, but it was considered a flop financially mm. um, at the time. And I think that hurt their careers, although they did. They continue to work to this day and they've made very good films. Um, although now they now work separately instead of together uh, as brothers, but they are very talented people. Um, the graphic novel is by fame, legendary Northampton curmudgeon Alan Moore, <laughs> who frankly is entitled to be as curmudgeonly as he likes about whatever the hell he likes, because <laughs> the man wrote the most important text that completely transformed comic books. Uh, English language comic books, I should say, in the 80s and 90s. Mm. Um, there's, and without him, we don't get the new wave of British writers who then take risks here in Britain and go straight off to the States and transform American comics, mm-hmm. all of whom are still working today, all of whose influences are visible on everything from the MCU to DC Extended Universe television series yep. to... Uh, BBC with with things like um, uh, Good Omens and and um, <laughs> so forth and so on and 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 you know frankly modern popular culture doesn't exist without these people which means it doesn't exist without Alan Moore hmm. and so when you know just to give people a quick rundown of what that means Alan Moore here in Britain wrote things like uh, Ballad of Halo Jones and Skiz for um, 2000 AD in the States he worked on 
uh, he wrote a, swamp, a run of Swamp Thing that allowed him to introduce us to John Constantine, the mm-hmm. most arguably the most famous British character in DC, the DC universe, the great uh, cigarette smoking, swearing, magic using, <laughs> <laughs> uh, liver puddly and via London, and um, uh, he he wrote V for Vendetta, which has been transformed by the Wachowskis and become a modern, a key modern text, and he yeah. wrote um, uh, Watchmen. Which is responsible for flipping everything on its head. Yes. Uh, he also did Killing Joke, didn't he? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He he famously did one Superman and one Batman text that again transformed our understanding of both heroes. The Superman text was, uh, oh, I've got to remember it now because I only re- I only read it for the first time before I watched Man of Steel. It's amazing. Um, but his Superman one was really, again, really transformative. Like, what mm. happens if we summarize all of the Superman mythos and kind of bring it all together? Um, and then he did the Killing Joke as a just a. It was one of the earliest single one-shot graphic novels. Like, it was really thin, really small, really high quality. Yeah. Um, I remember when it came out. I still have my original edition of it. Um, so yeah, man, man is. A lot of it, people would say he's also responsible for bringing the darkness to a lot of things. But then that's because people haven't read what he went on to write afterwards there's a lot of humor in his early stuff there's a lot of humor in his later stuff when he stopped writing for the big publishers mm. except for, for and from hell is is probably the big exception from hell is, is is frankly a masterpiece it's even if the history historical side of it is being completely disproven because it relies mostly on stephen knight's famous book from the mid 70s I think yep. it was. uh jack the ripper the final solution that's it so more basically rests most of his historical ideas on that uh, for people who don't know, this is the book that this is the main source for the idea that maybe the the Ripper killings have a link to the British royal family of the time. Yeah, and which, Freemasons. Yes, and <laughs> it has to be pointed out that almost you know there's there's almost no serious Ripperologist today who would entertain this theory. Um, but at the same time, it is fun. That's the truth. It's it's inter- it's, it's it's entertaining, and that's mm. where it works really well in relation to From Hell. Yeah. Uh, so the graphic novel is very layered. Eddie Campbell, the artist on it, wonderful, wonderful artist. Um, uh, you and I were talking about Neil Gaiman before we started this episode. Um, yes. Uh, Eddie's daughter, Hayley, was Neil's assistant for years. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's a journalist now here in in, London, in, in Britain. But um, she was uh, she's on Twitter as well. You should follow her. She's, she's really cool. But she, um, yeah, you know, Eddie's work, I used to read his stuff. He used to do a thing called Bacchus, which was this idea of Bacchus, the Greek god, you know, the god of wine. Mm. It was this idea, it was pre-American gods. He did his own thing of, oh, look, the Greek gods are still around at the moment. What are they doing yeah. now? So he basically writes the story of this guy who's incredibly old. He's got like incredible amounts of folds in his skin because he's just so old. And he just walks around in like a sailor cap and a jacket, you know, just like really casually. And he's like, please back us. <laughs> he's a god. <laughs> and it's just like what happens when he meets people and talks to them. It's a very cool comic. And then mm. he did From Hell, which I thought was amazing. Um, and From Hell is beautifully researched. It's incredibly stylized visually. Campbell uh, has clearly looked at all of the photos of the period, all the resources. Yeah. The Hughes brothers for From Hell did the same thing. They were, they still are, they're Ripper, uh, uh, Ripper enthusiasts. They met with Ripperologists. They studied all of the source material that they could find. They yeah. asked the production designers to accurately recreate everything down to the last cobblestone when they built the sets of the East End in Prague. Mm. Um, so what we have here is a very visually opulent and 
production design-wise accurate uh, Victor- uh, look at the Whitechapel murders? Yeah. Now, you are a fan of both true crime yeah. as well as very, very interested in the Whitechapel murders yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think it confuses people slightly because I'm such a bouncy, happy person. And then I'm like, true crime, yeah! <laughs> Murder! Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I'm just weird, but that's me. Um, so, yeah, because of the combination of being into history and being into true crime, obviously... The Ripper murders kind of cross over very nicely. Um, and also it's a very interesting look at that time period. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. the Jack the Ripper murders led to a lot of things. So um, I guess starting off of who Jack the Ripper is, completely we don't know. We have no idea who he is. Uh, we have no idea what social class, um, fashion, if he did wear a top hat and a cape and look spooky under gaslight, uh, which is always the image you see of him. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, this has been, because of that, people have been able to put their own spins on the tail. They've been able to do things like um i think there's an episode of star trek he's yep. in yep. and there's an uh, episode of babylon 5 yep, yep. um and just load take him out of that period and bring him into our period uh i think there was a cowboy one um mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i know at some point there was a knife that was cursed that was jack the ripper this is all mm-hmm. random stuff i found in my research um and oh the best one is there's a film where um london bridge was moved to a city in america i can't remember what city it was but this, that is actually true oh yes i know the one you mean yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then the spirit of the killer moves with it yeah yeah, yeah famous but film, it's yeah. not until they put the final stone into the uh, london mm. bridge that mm. jack the ripper appears and i'm yeah. like that's amazing Mm. Um, um, and of course, you know, it's, he's also, uh, we've also had, um, uh, you know, people have pitched Sherlock Holmes against him. A lot, and, yes. Yeah, and, and in, in the 90s, we also had post Alan Moore and the experiments with Batman. We had a Batman one set in Gap, mm. which is set in the, you know, in the period. The idea, it was one of what we, the first of the Elseworlds books. Yeah. Where we look at this whole idea of what if Batman existed in a different time period. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, it's a very, very. <sighs> So over the last hundred plus years, since the killings, Jack the Ripper himself is a name that everybody knows, right? Yeah, and, and, it's and been one hundred and thirty-two as... years. Right, and as somebody, and I know that been... because I was born in the hundredth anniversary. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> that might explain your fascination. Um, oh, yeah, I, maybe. I one of the Ripperologists interviewed on the DVD for about the film talks about the fact that whichever British newspaper at the time came up with calling him that, you know. That was marketing genius. Um, <laughs> the, the it came branding. from one of the letters that was sent to newspapers. Right. Um, so, because it was signed Jack the Ripper. Right. So, that, well, there you go. So, that's where that comes from. <laughs> so, the thing is that, let's put our cards on the table before we go any further, right? We know that, we, that no, there is no real guaranteed solution to the mystery, right? Yeah. And I think that's why it is a point of fascination, because... It's never going to be solved. Yes. Yeah, agreed. Um, so, 
a film like this now, which at the time, you know, they can talk about, oh, it's up to date. We're researching the latest in, in you know, we've been researching the latest in 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 riffology, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, we can look at it now and go, ah, yeah, all right, things don't that don't work. Mm. Um, and say, you know, well, okay. Um, though in that sense, one could argue from a historical point of view, it's dated because we've had further research, better books. And in fact, you know, the most important book, which I want to mention, Hallie Rubenhold's The Five, which was published last yes. year, which will, be, get a, 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 um, which will become even more well-known very soon when the TV version comes along, um, mm-hmm. in which she just dispenses with the idea of thinking, worrying about who the killer is and what the killer did and focuses entirely on the lives of the five women who were killed, which yeah. I think is an absolutely brilliant, brilliant way of reorientating the, how we look at this case as historians. Yeah. I mean, one thing I do need to mention is that at the time there was 11 murders around, uh, Whitechapel and Spitalfields, mm. which could be linked to uh, Jack the Ripper. Um, some of them are kind of eh, they were just around the time, um, but the five that we call the canonical five, mm. which is Mary Ann Nichols, uh, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. Mm. Uh, those are the ones that are considered the five definite. Yep, the, these were all Jack the Ripper. At the same time, they might not have been. It was just that they were similar enough to be linked. So, uh, with how gruesome the murders were and the fact of most of them had organs stolen. Um, I think it was Annie Chapman had her nose cut off, mm. which was a sign for syphilis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I still remember going back to the five and the book, uh, I remember when the, um, there was a museum that opened about the Jack the Ripper murders in Whitechapel. And it was sold to the council of, it was going to look at women at the East end from the East end. Mm -hmm. So of course everyone was like really excited, like this is going to be perfect. And then it just turned into a Jack the Ripper museum concentrating more on that rather than and the what's it called um sensationalism of it Mm. rather than actually looking at the lives of east end women so i feel like the five and now a lot of research into prostitution in the east end and what the lives were like for poor the poor and downtrodden i'll put in abbreviated commas because i don't like that phrase uh, were at the time is in a reaction to that museum as well because there were a lot of protests outside about mm-hmm. it because a lot of um, people felt like they had been robbed because they were looking for a museum on women's history. I think it's they are now actually getting one, which is brilliant. So, yeah. Okay. Sorry, I babbled. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think that's perfectly relevant. I think this is all important stuff um, because this is the thing. It's an issue that people still get hot under the collar about. Mm. Um, I was watching an interview that Hallie Rubenhold did um, with, uh, uh, I think it's the editor of Virago Press. They did it in the British Library. I was watching it on YouTube. And in the Q&A, the amount of 
mostly men putting their hand up and just going, well, we already knew this and we know that and blah, blah, blah. And one guy really lays into her and then she says, well, I think if you check in my book, and he says, well, if you check in my book, Uh which book is it? And she goes, well, you should know. He says, you quoted it. And it's like, he hasn't even identified, and then she goes, and who are you? And I thought, good, yes, thank you, put him on the spot. He hasn't even identified himself. He's just acting like you should know who she is because he's written a popular, uh, you know, well-known mythology book, which you happen to, to include. But, yeah. uh, you know, the challenging, and, I, and the, the, the tone of the challenges as if you've somehow trod on their personal graves when this is just a, a hobby and an obsession, you know. I mean, yeah. I, I know as historians we get passionate about the things we talk about. Um, but I think... Uh, for one single murder case to maintain the hold and fascination that it does, I think actually this is possibly one of the things I like most about From Hell as a film. Mm. And there's a graphic novel. I feel like this entire idea of saying, let us treat it as a lens that we examine this period, this moment in Victorian society through, is... A, the most thing that interests me the most historically about it, and B, I feel like the focus on the bigger picture means we see things that, at least at that time, for all the wonderful BBC TV productions and movies that have been done over the years, I still feel like in From Hell we see things that at the time we hadn't seen in film before, like mm. sleeping on the rope for a pair yes. night, you know? Um, and I feel like as long as you can ignore the two American leads who've obviously been inserted so that they get the budget they need in the marketing, um, <laughs> and for whom they've obviously rewritten scenes to make it work for them, yeah. uh, if you can ignore them and just like pretend they're not there, <laughs> and, just, <laughs> and just like like Susan Lee, like like uh, Susan Lynch is the lead, is the main. Uh, of main member of the the, the fame of the five and and and, and Robbie Coltrane's actually playing Abilene. Then, so, then the film's wonderful because you know? <laughs> Ian Holm is great in his role because Ian Holm always is. Yeah, and um, you know, visually they make a horror film that is actually got more to do with Italian horror than it has with West with with the British or it's a bit of English. It's a bit, it's somewhere between Hammer and Argento. You know, it's, mm. it's kind of it's got moments of very giallo esque. Uh, kind of visuals and feelings and thoughts, and then it's also got this kind of because it's got the drug because it's also got the drug element as well that they've they've brought in this additional idea that in their version Abilene is an opium addict, which I think is frankly I heard rumours at the time that that was something Johnny Depp asked them to do for it because he thought okay. it was more interesting because I think it's not interesting and in fact it's almost got it's nothing like Abilene himself. As no, and it um, kind of feels like. Hey, look, we're in the Victorian era. Here's something Victorian. Yes, yes, exactly. And but at the same time, I think uh, I think there's some truth to the idea that um, when people ask the Hughes brothers at the time when they're making it, how can how come two you know two guys like you from the states are making this film? They were like, well, you know, a we don't want to get pigeonholed making films about the hood, and b this is just someone else's hood. It's hmm. still about poor people suffering the consequences of being poor. Yes. You know, still experiencing violence. And I and I think and and I give them credit because I feel like that's something that I that was fresh to from hell. I feel like that's something when I saw too many of the older versions or that you mentioned earlier that you know are focused entirely on the investigation then yeah. focused on the ripper himself they're pure horror films and designed around or or, or or tv miniseries and they're designed around those particular genres and at least with this one there's a there's an attempt to be more about the women 
the times. Yeah. Or the place. Um, you know, but for people who don't know just how different Johnny Depp's reading of Abilene is, if you watch Ripper Street, on, which was on BBC and then on Amazon, um, the, in, in, there's, ah, I'm trying to remember the name of the, the actor they cast in it, but um, Ripper Street is about, basically, is about uh, the man who is Robbie Coltrane's character later, after the Ripper's murders are oh, uh, okay. slowly fading, and he's now the main copper in, 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 in Whitechapel, mm. and, his, and Abilene's retired. Yeah. The guy they cast as Abilene is one of these guys that you know from British TV. He always plays these big, gruff guys. He plays policemen or gangsters or what have you. And he's got like rugby shoulders. And when he turns up with his hat and his tweed jacket, and you're kind of like, oh, that's what Abilene should be like. Mm. You know, he's a bulldog. I mean, because Abilene became, when he, when he left the yard, the Pinkertons hired him. Yeah. You know, and he was, they, they paid for him to go to Monte Carlo and, and track you know, cheats and con artists. I mean, the guy was, you know, a reputed law enforcer. So, so he's not that, he's not going to be this kind of slightly waifish, drug addicted, you know, psychic, frankly. I mean, yeah. that's the thing that really annoyed me when I saw it in the cinema. I was like, I was like, Depp is like, you know, it was like that part, it was that whole thing that was happening in 90s serial killer thrillers post Silence of the Lambs and all those things where we were, and, and, and where we were getting into this idea of, the ability to construct in your head or to visualize the crimes was almost psychic. Right? Yeah. And you got TV shows like Millennium and you got uh, and, 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 and Profiler and, and, you know, it was an excuse for directors and producers to, uh, and writers to tell stories in which you could visualize the killings mm. as a way of explaining the story to the viewer, as well as also allowing them to push the boundaries of graphic crime on television and I I mean you know Coltrane was coming off Cracker at this point as well which was one of the most important definitive British crime shows looking at how you deal with crime and, and killers mm-hmm. um, which is all the more reason he should have been the lead here uh, but 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 you know it, it's it's such a it's such a it's such a cop-out to go look I saw this connection in my dream when I was lying there taking my absinthe and it's just like oh really dude um, so, so that sort of stuff I find, um, historically interesting, but yeah, pointless in the context of the film telling the story it's telling. And you mentioned this, so you mentioned when you were watching yesterday about the elephant man turning up. So there's a point yes. in, so there's a point in one of the extras where one of his brothers explains there, uh, the, the connection because apparently, the Elephant Man talked about going to the site of one of the killings at one point. I don't know if that's true or not. I think he did, but well, well, he, interesting. he Sorry, lived in uh, the Royal Hospital, which was in the East End area. Yes, and and, and wasn't he a suspect at one point or by some historians for some for no good reason that I can think of? Uh, I can... They've he was put... one of the wilder ones. Yeah, they've put suspicions on everyone. Yeah. Um... I mean, well, at the well, time, mm-hmm. I will say mention that the East End of London was full of suspicion and uh, bigotry. Oh, yes, just, bigotry, panic. The yeah, because you had um, a lot of Jewish refugees fleeing, fleeing the uh, pogroms in Russia, mm. 
and the other uh, Eastern Europe. So they were flooding into the area. Um, you also had a lot of Irish coming into the area because I believe it was the same time as the potato famine. Mm-hmm. So it meant that was, there a was a lot. But yes, it's a, that was a consequence. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot more. I don't want to say foreigners, but that's people that were not British. Oh well, the Eastern was well. Again, this is another reason why the Ripper Street TV show was so entertaining. Is is all of that is yeah. it, is part of what they do? And the thing is that even they have show you because they also have the whole thing with the connection to the elephant man yeah because there's a, they, they have a couple of episodes where um in the first series where our policeman goes to see him and say i'm sorry i haven't talked to you since you know the killings and yeah um, but also they talk about the fact that they've got a lid now on the east end and they don't want it to come off again and so when they're murdered when when some, when murders start again in the first episode they're like we can't have it happen again it's not the ripper you know yeah and this kind of um, thing which joseph I think Ma- uh Merrick. Rather than calling him the Elephant Man. Yes, sorry, we should give him his proper name. Absolutely right, Joseph Merritt. Absolutely yeah. right. And that's another thing I think. This is the problem, isn't it? We, it's become too easy. These people. This is all part of mythology and lore, and it's it's and and, and we don't treat some of these people as people. Yeah, because the Canonical Five are just treated kind of like as women to be murdered a mm. lot of the time when mm. these were women with real lives and. And not always in prostitution because they were prostitutes. No. Uh... Which is, again, was something that Reuben Hall's brought up because her initial work was on uh, 18th century sex workers. Um, hence she did the book that the TV show Harlots is based on. Yeah. You know, That's something moved... I've been wanting to watch Same for here. this as well. Same here. I think uh, I think we may have to do it. We may, it might have to be another Binger's crossover with, with real history. Yeah. Um, but yes, I. Um, uh, but yeah, that's what led her to then move forward into the nineteenth century and look at you know, because she's she's got the knowledge of those that era and those worlds and, mm. and how these this this particular industry and how that works, but also how it related to people who were not part of um, sex work per se. But in that time period, it was something that occasionally had to be resorted to. Yeah, some people didn't work as prostitutes on the street every single night. Yeah. It might be a case of you were a bit short, so you would go out. Yes. Kind of thing. Yes, exactly. I think so, I, and I think this film gets some of that right quite well. And I think if you were looking for. So you and I have had, in, in the three seasons, this is now our third season of, of, of podcast, we have we've often said that a film will get the production design right it will get the atmosphere right it will get the mood right of or or, or get something close to the mood of what the time period might be it might have been like Mm. you know great costumes but then they'll get other things wrong yeah and i think from hell sadly falls into that for all the efforts and accuracy you know the 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 way that they have replicated the original sources recordings of body placements and uh, alleyways and windows, you know, the precision with which they've recreated all of that. Yeah, and like the smashed window at the Mary Kelly's um, Mm -hmm. room, for a better word, and also the um, focus on the street signs as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to show you where... But then you get... Then it starts going into the silly stuff of, well, if you look at where they were placed, then it was the it makes a Freemason symbol. And it's like, mm-hmm. mm. uh huh. 
exactly. But the thing is, part of the problem is all of that is wrapped up in Knight, Stephen Knight's version, and then Alan Moore's version. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's worth pointing out that one of the things that Moore's does in Moore and Campbell do in From Hell is they're not just looking at the Rip uh, the, the Whitechapel. They're looking at London. Yeah. As a whole, they're looking at London as this place that has been there for centuries and will still be there. And it has impacts and effects and things that, you know, pass down through to where we are. I mean, you know, there's a scene. I mean, one of the things I love about the graphic novel, and I know we always, I know our motto is all history is a spoiler, but this time I'm going to spoil the graphic novel. So spoiler. Um, Do prostitutes get murdered? No, at the end of it, the final in the final scenes, uh, Abilene travels briefly travels forward in time and sees um, a British newspaper putting together a report on Jack the Ripper and the way it's still salaciously celebrated. Yeah, and then he suddenly falls back to his own time and he is absolutely horrified at the idea that this sordid set of murders and this this case will become what it becomes. Oh. That's one of the most important bits of the Jack the Ripper's tale is the media portrayal of it. Exactly, exactly. Because it was one of the first things that newspapers, as they started to get wider circulation because there had been tax reforms and uh, they were starting to go to middle class as well as upper class, Mm. um, and obviously, this murder—the murders were sensationalized. So everyone wanted to read the newspaper, and so that's why we have a lot of drawings. We have the photographs. We have a lot of records of it. We have the records of all the letters, mm-hmm. uh, which includes the one that the title of this film is from—the From Hell letter, mm. uh, the Jack the Ripper letter, where he got his name. Uh, I think the From Hell letter included a kidney as well. I think that's that one. There were um, lots... Yeah, I always get confused because there's a postcard and there's a couple of letters and there's one letter that was thought to be... There's the one that signed Saucy Jack, isn't there? Yes. You know, and then you get the other ones. And, but there's still... I, I don't know there's enough... There's a Dear Boss letter which... as well. Yeah, I don't know enough to know which, to be able to tell you which ones are accurate and which ones aren't. I will say, although um, I enjoy... <sighs> Right, as a historian, I just need to get over the fact of I need to just say I enjoy the Ripper murders because, yeah, I do. It's hard to say you enjoy murder. Yeah, and I feel bad for it and I know it's massively problematic, but it's interesting to me. So um, it's like uh, when I have to explain to people that my research currently is into the Holocaust and uh, queer voices to do with the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Because it's a period of fascination to me. And it makes me feel a bit awkward because some people are like, look at you a bit funny. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So when you say you enjoy the Ripper murders, it's another one of those. No, what you mean is you enjoy the story, the study, the interest. I mean, look, I I get you because I've read so much serial killer thriller stuff over the years, particularly as as the form has developed. And I have... Um, I'm going to be my next binges and box sets. We're going to be looking at Mindhunter. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so one of the things I fundamentally have a problem with to this day, and I think it's a problem not many people share, is I just don't 
really want to know about the ultimately too much about the details of the killer. It's like I'm interested in the investigation. I'm interested yeah. in the people doing the investigation. I'm interested in the victims. But I find we have gone so far down the role of making the killers the lead and celebrating them. And you can partly blame Hitchcock amongst other many other people mm. for making them interesting. You know, filmmakers of the past have found them fascinating. But I also think there's a worrying when we go back and analyse it now, what you see is a lot of male writers and directors who are who who look at these men who are damaged and committing terrible heinous crimes often against women and you can see these yeah. men who are creating stories about them going well you can sort of see why and it's like well yeah I can see why but that doesn't mean we should let them do it or we should celebrate them or we should even make them be overly graphically beautiful I mean one of the problems with From Hell is because it's a, it's drawing on the Italian horror tradition which in itself draws on Italian art ideas going back to you know medieval times and Catholic mm portrayals of the horrors of hell that get painted on your church walls i mean there is stuff i have seen when i've been in italy on chapel walls that frankly goes far beyond 18 rated horror it's graphically <laughs> horrific what they should yeah. be happening to people in hell and your kid imagine you're a kid at prayer on a sunday and your parents are saying look at that that'll happen to you if you're not careful you know um but but the thing is that um that 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 specific strand of horror has long had a focus on close-up detailed visuals of mutilated bodies men or women yeah and graphic graphic you know they pushed the boundaries in the 70s the majority of the films that were banned in england is part of the famous um yeah the bbfc's uh, uh what did they call the horror films that were banned they call them the the video nasties yes the, ma- a g- the majority of those were, were italian not american mm. um and a lot of Americans and British were influenced by those films, and and you can see that influence. And and from hell takes that, and so it means you have these un- unbelievably detailed corpses, yeah, that are inc- so that were so incredibly detailed and graphic, and that are then made up and lit with all the blood and the organs and everything that meant that. Robbie Coltrane was saying on the extras that he and Johnny Depp would turn up on set to do their part as the policeman, and then they'd see the fake corpse, and they'd both be like, I wish we had had breakfast. Yeah. He was like, it's just too graphic. So they were like the... um... Oh, what's themselves. not the police? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, the there's a character in the film that keeps wanting to throw up, which is Oh the... yes. Oh, what's his job? Coroner. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Even though I'm like. Dude, you probably actually see worse. worse. Yeah. <laughs> Why are yeah. you being like this? And, and and so I think this is this is this is I think the great contradiction of of this film is that they they are forced to strip back an, a, a multi layered sixteen part graphic novel that includes thirty two pages of triple column notes at the back by the way <sighs> it's got the it's got you you want uh, you want footnotes <laughs> from hell's got them okay yeah it, it, it's a it's on my list of comics I need to get at some point like yeah. it's, it's it's another one of like mouse yeah uh, well, which I, we need to cover at some point we do need to cover mouse at some point and I think what we maybe should yeah we should cover mouse actually because there's a really interesting connection that the comic store owner of the comic shop I used to work in years when I was a teenager, he made a connection when Schindler's List came out and said, this scene is out of mouse. Mm. And I was like, no one else is talking about this. So we can, we can talk about that. Um, anyway, what I was going to say was, um, I think 
from hell does a, the best job it can at trying to be this at this layered adaptation of something that is so layered that you can barely do it on film. Yeah, they've got experience. They've got talented directors who make it into a visually interesting horror film. Mm. They have good writers. Terry Hayes is Australian, really good writer. Raphael Iglesias is American. These guys. They, they they take bits of the of the of the graphic novel that and 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 drop hints at others and then get rid of other things. So, um, for example, I said Depp asked for the thing. I, I may have been wrong. The psychic powers were apparently something that Abilene's friend Robert Lee's claimed to have. Right. <laughs> and so that's they by mixing those two characters together, you get yeah. the Depp version. And then the opium habit. Oh no, no, the opium habit was something Depp thought was important because that was he thought that would explain the psychic powers. Yeah. Yeah. I still think he's, despite some critics saying his accent was good, I think his accent's bloody awful. But that's just me. Um, I think I'm too used to it because of Sweeney Todd. Well, I think he's gotten better with his accent <laughs> yeah. over the years. Can we do Sweeney Todd at some point? Because it's yes, fun. Yes, I'd like to. It was probably. One, I haven't seen it, but I'd like to see it. Oh, um, so good. Um, and also, this is the first time I saw a film where. The victims themselves, the, the, the canonical five, become more. As I said earlier, you know, we see the rope, we see them washing in the cattle trough, you know, we see how they prepare for the for for dealing with the life of being sex workers and yeah. the, the drink. But also, and they talk about it as well. Yeah, and the actors this, are fantastic. This film passes the Bechdel test. It does, right? <laughs> no, no, but, but but how rare is that? In a, I film know chapel murders. You know, I mean, and you've got Leslie Sharp and Annabelle Absian and Catherine Catledge and Susan Lidge. You've got a really fantastic cast of British actors who at the time were mostly well-known for television. Some of them yeah. are, very, are quite well-known now. Um, you Although, know, I, I can't remember her name, but I cannot not see her as the mum from Goodnight, Mr. Tom. Well, so whenever yeah. I see her, I'm just like, ooh, it's... Uh, if you think that's bad, wait till you go back to the seventies and see what some of the most famous late um, uh, actresses who were mums in sitcoms and adverts twenty years later were doing in sex comedies like uh, the the Confession series. Um, <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, so I think I think I think that is absolutely to the credit of the film. Yeah. Um, you feel like these people. I'm going to quote my favourite film critic, Philip French, writing in um, the Observer at the time. Uh, February 10th, 2002, he said, um, they're spirited, stoical victims fighting for their lives against pimps and malevolent social fortunes, not just anonymous unfortunates. That is very true as well. I think it, it, it wasn't yeah. like their lives weren't not dangerous before the Ripper murders anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes. As I said, um, there were 11 murders around that period that they think could be due with the Ripper. Exactly. And that's not just the murders that were happening in that area at that time anyway. And the violence and the drugs and the alcohol and Mm. everything. Um, The fact that the women are actually characters Mm. is Mm. such a rare thing and actually a nice thing. Mm. Although you can tell which of the five, well, technically six, I guess, mm. um, is meant to be the main character because she seems a lot cleaner than well, the rest. I mean, and... <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. You know, for all the wonderful production design and costume design, there are now, when we look back at it, because we, we've now got to a point where audiences are, seem to be willing to accept dirtier, grungier faces on screen and settings on the screen. I think Lemis helped a lot with that. Sorry? 
think Lemnis helped a lot with that. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, but also, I think actors willing being willing to get Dirty. messed up when they're very pretty people. Yeah, true. Um, but here, I but but I think here it's interesting because. At the time, I felt it was quite grungy, but now I'm looking at it and I'm seeing just how colourful their dresses are and how clean and colourful things are. And again, coming back to um, Philip French, he also points out that you're looking at um, combined work of British production designer Martin Charles, Australian costume designer Kim Barrett, David Lynch's cameraman Peter Deming. Is combined work is breathtakingly good, a constant delight to look at, even if it's tinged with nostalgie de la boue. In other words, it's a bit nostalgic for the muck of it. Yeah. Um, but he also talks about the fact that the incredible recreation of Whitechapel in Prague over several acres is stylized to look a little bit like Whistler's Nocturnes and to evoke John Atkinson Grimshaw's paintings. Mm. And again, I think these are things that we don't see a lot anymore. There used to be a tradition in movies of, particularly historical movies, of not just creating your visuals from uh, what you want them to look like to make the film interesting, but to go back to sources, including paintings. Mm. You know, there's not as much of a tradition these days of saying, well, what would the paintings make it look like? Yeah. And I feel like From Hell gets that right. Um, so, again, I think that's a massive score in its favour. Um, so, would I... I mean, you know... I For all my issues with it, I'm still angry 18 years on that Johnny Depp and Heather Graham are having to be the leads and I'd rather have seen Susan Lynch and, 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 and Robbie Coltrane and get that Wait, mm. but you've got Ian Holm, Robbie Coltrane, Ian Richardson, Jason Fleming, right? Terence Harvey, Susan Lynch, Catherine Kelly. You've got this incredible, incredible British cast. Paul Reese, Leslie Sharp, right? Yeah, it's an incredible cast, right? It's a fantastic yeah. cast, and they're doing really good work. And it's, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that every time Depp and Graham are on screen, it takes me out of the thing. <laughs> it does all, a bit, doesn't it? You know, I'm always in it otherwise. Um mm. And I really, I say this as someone who hate, pretty much hates most Tim Burton's, but really likes Depp and Burton when they did Sleepy Hollow, mm. which I saw in cinemas as well. And I thought he was great in that. So it's not like he can't do period accents and period horror. And you're, I you kept hearing a hint of Jack Sparrow. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the problem is Jack Sparrow isn't really historical. It's 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 Keith Richards. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, it's the thing that always bugs me about it is when every time I, I quite, I quite think I, I think we should do the pirates at some point. If only yes. because, of, yeah, um, because I quite like that first film. And the first film is, it's just brilliant. Yeah, yeah. and then it gets and, a bit crazy. <laughs> yeah, but there's the historical elements that I think are interesting, and I'd like an excuse to watch the later films because a I got bored after the, with number three and stopped, but also yeah. because On Stranger Tides adapts one of my f uh, favorite writers' books that I haven't read, Tim Powers, mm. so it gives me an excuse to read that. He's the guy who invented, um, well, pretty much invented steampunk. Yeah, I got up to the fourth. I've still ah. the fourth in the cinema. Is that the one with Penelope Cruz in it? Yes. Oh, I that should be a reason for me to keep watching. Um, I when know you... that they're re they they're redoing the franchise now. Yes, they are. And they're yeah. thinking of a uh, female lead, which I'm like, yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... Well, I I've seen Penelope Cruz be a cowboy, so I'm happy to see her be a pirate. <laughs> um, one thing actually, right? 
in my mind, Pirates, Assassin's Creed Black Flag, Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed Syndicate. There we go. <laughs> um, I was going to say that the game, that game is actually an interesting look at both sides of London. Mm-hmm. And it does have a DLC to do with the Ripper. Yes. Uh, where, spoilers, it's revealed to be one of uh, an assassin trainee. Funny that. Funny that. Oops. Go, yeah. uh, Jacob, who's um, one of the twin assassins, trained him. And then is like, oops, maybe shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The nice thing about the game, though, it's uh, Evie, funny enough, who... Yes, yes, that's what I heard. Shares uh, the name of my daughter. Um, she uh, is the lead, and she's actually older, and so that's refreshing. And you actually get to walk around the east end of London and see the poverty. And it's like in the uh, original game, there's a scene where you have to take, oh, I think it's the Disraeli's wife, and you have to take her around the east end of London being her bobby bodyguard because she wants to go see the poor people <laughs> mm. and it does kind of feel awkward and but it does kind of explore the gangs of the area and like so if someone wants to, that's another way of looking at the ripper sorry i'm babbling yes i agree no but this is the thing isn't it it's, it's about who the focus is and what the yeah. focus is on and at least from hell makes an effort to be about the place the time the victims mm. You know, it looks at the it looks at that media side thing. You know, it looks at um, the attitudes, the class based attitudes. You know, I, it I, looks at all sorts. I was, this, I'm not sure how to phrase this without sounding a bit weird. I'm happy that they mentioned the Jewish aspect to it, mm-hmm. and the fact yes. of um, how many people did think it was a Jewish person, yes. especially. Oh, what was the thing written the jews will be not the ones that are not blamed for nothing at all mm-hmm, i think is mm-hmm. the what was painted over one of the bodies um and it was true that it was um gotten rid of because the police didn't want scandal to ha- well not scandal but didn't want attacks on jewish people to happen mm-hmm. because they felt like that's what would there would be London's own pilgrim, yeah, because exactly. of it. Yeah, uh, and, again, and I know yeah. I mentioned it already before, but again, this is one of the reasons why, if if you haven't watched the TV show Ripper Street, it's well worth your time mm. because it builds on all of that. All of that is is at even though it's basically a weekly crime show, um, it's also a weekly period drama, but it's also a show with a really, really fantastic sense of history. Mm. And there are people who wrote for it who wrote for Peaky Blinders. So for people who like Peaky Blinders, you should give Ripper Street a go. Um, and but I also I can't believe I'm going to say this because I would like rather support the BBC. But if you can, if you can watch the Amazon Prime versions, not the Blu-ray or DVD versions, because when Amazon bought it, they extend they paid the company they they allowed them to make longer episodes yeah and then the bbc showed only the short versions mm. so absolutely worth your time i mean the most serious episodes are directed by uh some very good british horror directors who've also worked in drama before yeah. and you got matthew mcfadden leading an absolutely cracking cast uh, along with jerome flynn before he goes off to do 
um, Game of Thrones. Mm. Um, and in fact, in later series, you'll notice that they're trying to juggle his schedule so he can do both. <laughs> um, but the thing is that the the recreation of London, the the the, re, the set they built for Ripper Street, which is based, I think it's based in Ireland as well. It's in Southern Ireland, and I think Flynn was flying. To, up to Northern Ireland for Game of Thrones and then back down to Southern Ireland for <laughs> for because they're using I think it's what were former docks in Dublin. Oh, okay. I think it's because it's now makes become sense. a stand. Well, the thing is, it's become a standard set now because they use the same set for um, Penny Dreadful. Yeah, um, I know set. that the docks in Gloucester get used often because yes. so yes, and then yeah, so so I think. Um, uh, I, I actually think it feels like if you've seen From Hell, it actually functions quite well to just move into Ripper Street. They're, they're not. It feels like some of the standards of quality in terms of visuals, design, you know, all of that. Mm. I feel like Ripper Street's the first one in a while to, to to match From Hell on that level. But I think I think I'm going to be most interested in seeing what happens when we get the five dramatized. Yes. Um, because Harlots is doing well enough that TV producers were looking at Ruben Hall's next book and going, "Ooh, ooh." <laughs> so, so let's, let's 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 talk about. So, I think we, I think we, I think we, do we agree that the film is generally very entertaining? It is a graphic adult horror film, so be prepared for that. Yes. Um, as a comic book fan, I would argue that it is a medium quality adaptation of a. A graphic novel that's very hard to adapt, but I'm actually quite okay with it as far as that goes. Mm, I think for the time as well, because yeah, comic book period, comic books were starting to get more adapted. Well, you'd had X Men one and two by then, and you'd had Blade had you? one and two. Yeah, I think X Men two comes out the same year. Possibly. I could be wrong. Hang on, I'll check because it's 2001 is the film and it comes out in the UK in 2002. Okay. Oh yeah, because that was at the period where we used to get films like a few months after. Yeah, America. X2 was the year afterwards. Okay. Because I. So yes, yeah, so I remember getting excited about um, yeah. X2. Yes. Well, you, yeah, people still do because it's very good. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, as so a I think little it... teen teenager, Jenna going, "Whoa, this looks like fun." <laughs> Guess what? It still is, isn't it? Mm. Uh, so yeah, so I think that's. Um... I think that's uh, so. I think From Hell has a lot of things going for it. I'm a big fan of the Hughes brothers. I will always maintain that there is a probably it's when you there's like 29 deleted scenes or something wow. on the DVD or 19 or something. There's a huge number. So I keep my feeling is that there is a director's cut worth seeing mm. out there that I would probably really like to see, and I don't know if we'll ever see it, but um, I it. You know, we've had a really good edition of of their first film, Menace to Society. And we are all fans of the Hughes Brothers. We're all waiting for a good edition of their second film, Dead Presidents, because again, there's a longer cut from Laserdisc that has never, uh, we've never seen again since. And um, mm. so, if this and From Hell got good editions, I'd love to see those. They've done ex- the extras on the DVD are excellent. If you buy the Blu-ray, you get all the extras from the first disc. So that's the deleted scenes and the commentary, and their commentary is very good. But the second disc is far more is very is fascinating because it's 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 Ripperologists talking. There's a thing called the Victim Files, mm. and it's a series of audio and some video interviews with Ripperologists talking you through all of the sources oh, okay. about each of the victims. Literally, it's pages on a book on on your screen that get 
turned over and you see the actual sources of the images of the victims and stuff um and then there's like a 10 minute piece on absinthe (laughs) and it was uh, important at the time yeah and then there's all the production design stuff but but yeah it's it's you know if you again it's not often i say to people hey go and find the second hand dvd but in this case yeah go find the second hand dvd because the second disc is from a history point of view is actually the the more interesting one might need to borrow it off yeah yeah, no worries. Um, I mean, you should be able to pick it up for like 50p or a pound somewhere really easily. But yes, absolutely. Uh, so what do we think? Uh, what are we going to give? So we, so we think it works on some levels and doesn't work on others. But in terms of our podcast, what are we going to score it? That's really tough because part of it. Right. The theory that it uses is complete tosh. Yes. it's <laughs> yeah. But it was based off a book. So... But at the same time, just because it's in a book doesn't mean it's accurate. Um, So, I mean, Jeffrey Archer got published. Let's just leave it at that. Um, Oh, it's hard. (laughs) 18.88% because that's the year. Now, normally I agree with you when you do something like that, but today I'm going to say I'm going to go a little higher. Okay. I'm going to go with 25%. Okay. Maybe 30 just because I think the work they put in to recreate the place and time based on sources is a rarity in these films we've said this time and again in these in our podcast you know you the, the 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 production designers will often say oh we'll look at the history but then we need to look at our budget you know well, yeah. we can do this but we can't do that um i think this is one of the rare times where there was sufficient directorial control producers willingness talent and skill available to go all right you want us to make those look like that we'll do that we'll make it look like that yeah um, and I think that works. And I think I think you'd be hard pressed to find. I, I feel the same way about um, Mary Riley, which is a very underrated. And uh, again, it's a film where, because of the American actors' accents in it, is generally derided. It's a based on a book that uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the author. She wrote a book for redo it, looking at Jekyll and Hyde from the point of view of the maid. Ooh. The Irish made Mary Riley, and they made it into a, a big budget movie with Malkovich as Jekyll and Hyde and uh, Julia Roberts as the maid. Okay. And I'm a big fan of it. I think it's actually a really solid horror film. I think it's, it's one of the better versions of Jekyll and Hyde, but it's got, it looks and feels, it's got the same kind of big budget horror look and feel as what we're talking about here. Mm. Um, it's a similar, because it came out at a similar time period. Um, and I think that's another underrated one that people should give time to uh and so i think i think if you look at it as that kind of work of fiction then there are things it does really well because it says well we'll ground that bit in the truth or in the in the in the sources but in the end ultimately depp and graham's casting will always upset me and Mm. um as you say the theory is entertaining but complete bunkum yeah but in the end most of them are Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's... I, I did read one where uh, someone thought that Jack the Ripper might have gone to America and became H.H. H. Holmes. Yeah, I've heard that one before. There's a number of versions of the story that suggest that the suspect was somebody who went to America afterwards or died afterwards. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons proposed for why the killings 
stop, except of course you then enter the argument of which killings are supposedly canonical. I hate that word. I hate that word because that implies that there's a you know it, this has the value and their, their deaths are, are are only valuable, important in the in the in in the scale of what um, in the scale of what is um, relevant when we're talking yeah. about who the Ripper is, and actually all their lives should be important regardless of who did the killing. Yeah, the person I mean, who kills I them only, is not what defines them. I only use those terms because those are the terms that. No, no, we. I get. Yeah. No, no, I get that. I get that. I'm just. This is me talking about the film in in, in the context. Yeah. It's... So, so you're going with eighteen point eight. Eight. Sorry, point eighty-eight rather, and I'm going <laughs> with twenty-five to thirty. Yes. Okay. I'm I'm fine with that. Um. So. I like coming up with the silly ones. <laughs> me too. I think you. No, I like I said, I would normally agree with you, but I just wanted to. I, I, I think maybe in the end I have a softer spot for it despite all my complaints. Yeah. Um, um, go on. Very quickly, I think we do need to just make sure that people are aware of how important this case is to the growth of newspapers and. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I'm glad, again, that they had the press hanging about as well and it showed how they were kind of interfering and not interfering and because mm-hmm. of course there weren't any rules for how the press were to act because yeah, they were very new thing. the body to take a photo you were uh, you could probably bung a coin at the local copper and he'd let you do it also the uh it's important to note that the police force were also very new at the time as well yes and also to point out that not all of policing itself was done through public the public sector yeah there were private i mean committees and associations as well it's 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 not the world we're in now no by a long shot although this is why the world we're in now was partly created you know this you know the, the sensationalism around the murders led to a number of pieces of crucial legislation that were socially important you know it led to various uh, advances and, and and considerations in the notion of in policing and investigation itself mm. you know it's it's yeah all of this stuff is 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 given a, despite the issues with the sensationalism it nevertheless shining a light on it the way it did led to important historical changes in london yeah so i suppose and I think there's that it also i don't want to say helped end the slums because no. the slums were always have always been there they are still technically there in london they just yeah. look better and yeah, it's all... about legislation that helps yeah and the east end is always going to be a poorer area mm-hmm. um that's just how it is mm-hmm. well ugh, it shouldn't be just how it is We're feed hungry children god damn it government um yes. not that i'm bitter um no no, no not at all no, no. none mm. of us are mm. yeah <laughs> um but i think it did help highlight what was happening in these areas Mm. so the rich did start to become more interested and it did maybe help some change Mm -hmm. so which is not a bad thing i mean the east end i would say is one of the biggest areas of opposites because the east end you have the areas like oh what's the financial sector called with the gherkin Oh, well, the city. Well, yeah, the city. Mm. 
oh, that was it, Hammersmith and something. I was like, it's Hammersmith and something line. What is it? Oh, um, yeah, right. And then um, you have some of the most poorest, deprived areas mm. in an area that's basically called the East End of London. Mm. And, yeah, it's just... Because uh, we used to meet up in that area... Um, once a month, and we used to see Rippertors go past us mm. while we were queuing for a certain anime club. Yeah, that's true. That's yes. true. <laughs> yes, so, I guess Rip- the Ripper has something to do with both our histories, too. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, it's, it's been, I mean, yes. You know, there's, there's so much more we can say on this because of the nature of the topic. But yeah. I think... Yeah, I think I think people have heard us go on about it. I was going we have to say score. we want we to do a uh, London Dungeon at some point. So well. so much we can do. So, folks, uh, thank you for listening to our podcast on From Hell. Jenna, yes. where can people find you if they want to talk to you? So, you can find me at Nadesco Kitty on Twitter. Um, you can find me uh, occasionally on the Big Stomp podcast, which is uh, Bunkerzilla's crossover kind of thing. I would say because it gets, uh, kind of brings all the different hosts from different podcasts on. So I'm occasionally on that. The last time I was on it, uh, I spoke about Disney and John Boyega, which mm-hmm. is appropriate for Black History Month. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also find me writing on the Bunkerzilla um, blog. So the last thing I published from now was the Disney theme parks essay that I did. Um, I've got a few ideas in the bag at the moment, so I just need to get on and write those. Otherwise, you can find me at Goldsmiths doing my queer history thing, I think. Excellent. Jolly good. People can find me at 4DA Consultancy on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And you can, if you liked what you heard today, then please buy us a drink at coffee.com forward slash 4DA Publishing. Um, that will, money will go towards our, our upkeep and running of this and the other podcasts that we do. Um, That's the point. We never mentioned I was on uh, uh, Boxes and Binges. Um, did we not? We haven't. Um, we did at the time, didn't we? No, because we weren't recording at the time. Well, you people, if you can listen to my other podcasts, which are pictures <laughs> of box sets, where I look at television with Anna Hussey and Jenna guested on the Good Omens episode. Because of and, course I did. <laughs> and we'll guest in future episodes, I'm sure, particularly if we look at something historical. Yeah. Um, and uh, please listen to my Hussies of Culture podcast as well, which I do with Leslie Pitt. And um, yes, enjoy. Yes, um, they're all very good podcasts. Thank you very much. I'm glad you I'm not that biased at all. Not that you're bust. No. Uh, so thank you, folks, and we will see you in another month. Yes. See you soon. You. Bye. Bye, mm. Governor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If you enjoyed this podcast, please buy us a drink at coffee.com/slash4dpublishing. Keep up to date with us on social media at realhistory underscore UK and don't forget to like and subscribe.